Um, right, I want to share a reading with you first uh, from the Gospels. It's from John's Gospel, chapter 21. A reading that's often read sort of the Sunday following Easter. Fishing. Right, he's headed. Fishing. After this, Jesus appeared again to the disciples, this time at the Tiberias Sea. That's the Sea of Galilee. This is how he did it. Simon, Peter, Thomas, nicknamed Twin, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the brothers Zebedee and two other disciples were together. Simon Peter announced, I'm going fishing. The rest of them replied, we're going with you. They went out and got in the boat. They caught nothing that night. When the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to them. Good morning. Uh, Did you catch anything for breakfast? They answered no. He said, throw the net off the right side of the boat and see what happens. They did what he said. All of a sudden, there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the master. When Simon Peter realized that it was the master, he threw on some clothes, for he was stripped for work, and dove into the sea. The other disciples came in by boat, for they weren't far from land, a hundred yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. When they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid with fish and bread cooking on it. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter joined them and pulled the net to shore. 153 big fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't rip. Jesus said, breakfast is ready. Not one of the disciples dared ask, who are you? They knew it was the master. Jesus then took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus had shown himself alive to the disciples since being raised from the dead. After breakfast... Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He then asked a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus said, shepherd my sheep. Then he said it a third time. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was upset when he asked for the third time, do you love me? So he answered, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. You know, isn't it really comforting to know? It can be a bit scary sometimes um, that Jesus knows you much better than you know yourself. When you feel discouraged, anxious, hopeless, and alone, he understands. And you know, at this point in the Easter story... Peter must have felt really, really low and down. 
After all, he'd, he'd really bragged, hadn't he? He'd boldly bragged uh, at the Last Supper that he'd never desert Jesus, right? That he'd even die for him. And that's what he'd said. Yet when he was approached by a young girl, not a soldier, right? A young girl in the early morning hours after Jesus had been arrested, Peter denied ever having known Jesus. He lied. This was the same man that Jesus said he'd build his church on. This is the same person who walked on water and appeared with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration, the special place where Moses and Elijah spoke with Jesus. Peter, one of the privileged three, right, who was with Jesus when he raised a girl to life, he didn't even admit that he knew Jesus when it mattered most. Can you imagine? Right, let it, you know, your imagination go. I think as Christians we have to use our imagination quite a lot. As God calls us to do that when we pray and we try and put ourselves in other people's situation. But use your imagination. Can you imagine how low and bad he felt about himself? He failed. He boldly stated that he'd follow Jesus right to the end, but he blew it. Can you identify with that? I really want you to think about this morning. Can you identify with letting Jesus down? Have you ever felt as though you don't deserve God's forgiveness? After the crucifixion, Peter went back to doing something familiar something that he was comfortable with. And we often do that, don't we? Yeah, we go back, we tend to lean towards our comfort zone where we feel secure and we don't feel intimidated because it's something we can do. Very often it's things that we will do on our own and we'll take ourselves away from everybody else. And Peter was certainly at home on the water that's where he was comfortable. It was his business. It had been his life. He knew about fishing. Fishermen weren't poor people. They were quite well-off people. Right? And he knew and he felt absolutely comfortable about that. But Jesus knew exactly where Peter was. And Jesus always knows where you are too. Right? And even in your darkest hour, Jesus knows where you are and how you feel. And for all of us, there will have been those dark times when we have felt rejected, alone, despairing, sad when we haven't understood what's happening to us. Jesus, knowing Peter would be in the boat, headed towards the beach. It was breakfast time, and while Peter was still out on the water, Jesus set a fire and started frying fish or smoking fish, whatever you do when you're on the beach with fish, I'm not absolutely sure. And Peter, seeing Jesus, and I'm sure smelling fish, and they were going to get extra, weren't they, when they landed, quickly rowed to shore and he met Jesus on the sand. And after they'd shared breakfast. I think this is the exciting part for us that we really, really need to get a hold of. 
After they'd had breakfast, Jesus reinstated Peter as a disciple. He said, it's okay. I want you to follow me. He wanted Peter to know, really wanted him to know, that even though he'd blown it, that he'd made a mess of it, he still dreamed big dreams for him as a disciple. Isn't that exciting? So often we let God down, we let one another down, we let those closest to us down, but God still dreams big things for us. He still wants us to be his disciple. And Jesus instructed him to feed my sheep. And Jesus had to repeat it three times. And I think Peter finally caught on that he meant he hadn't got a four-speed sheep and chase after woolly-coated animals, but he'd got to feed those who were following Jesus. And we can't help but wonder why Jesus had to ask Peter the same question three times. It's kind of intimidating when someone keeps repeating the same question to us, isn't it? Once a teacher asks, are you paying attention? You know, more than once. Right, you can get a bit embarrassed about it. And it's quite hard for teachers as well, I should say, that when you think they're listening, but they're probably thinking about what they're going to have for the tea, what they're going to do after school or whatever. When parents ask, Daniel will understand this, have you cleaned your room? Right, this is a question that's repeated many times in our house. We get frustrated. Right, the Bible tells us that Peter was grieved at the way that Jesus kept rephrasing this question and repeating it. Why did Peter need to hear it three times? Was it because he just didn't get it at first? I remember years ago my dad preaching about this. And it's really interesting because, you know, John's been talking about us mistaking and misunderstanding things. Right, we have a real problem with English. Right, English is the language with the most words in the world. About a quarter of a million distinct words. Right, and I should tell you, if you're interested, if you like info, like I do, the language with the fewest words... Tacky tacky, right, apparently, also called Sranan, has only got 340 words. It's a bit of a difference, isn't it, to a quarter of a million words. And tacky tacky is an English based Creole spoken by 120,000 people in the South American country of Suriname. So if this comes up on a quiz or point list, right, you'll be ahead of the game. What's the most widely published language in the world? English. I, I was talking to um, a German lady who's a friend who'd visited her house near Stuttgart and she had got a whole load of books in English because she said she couldn't get the same in German and she was working really hard, I quite admired her, trying to read these books and novels in English. So it's the most widely published language. And for those of you who think the longest word in the English language is flocky hill pilification, which I was always taught, it's not. It's, it's 
one with 45 letters that I won't even begin to pronounce. You can come and have a look afterwards and see if you can understand that. However, when it comes to the word love, English is absolutely useless. We have one word for love. Sanskrit has 96 words for love. Ancient Persian has 80, Greek 3, and English only 1. I remember, with great embarrassment, <laughs> had a French pen friend. The family were known to my mum and dad because dad was um, the English rep on the European thing for standards in engineering, something fancy. And they had to go to conferences. And his French counterpart, they got to know very well. And his daughter was about the same age as me. So I wrote the first letter to her. And at the end, I put avec amour, right, with love. Not realising that this was like the passionate, you know, love that you shouldn't absolutely ever use with a friend or anything like that. And they wrote to me. They even phoned mum and dad to explain that this was perhaps not the best word of that particular French word for love. And, you know, because we've only got one word for love in English, it makes us quite poor. We have a poverty of awareness or emphasis that is tremendously important. Right, if I can explain it like this, Eskimos, and I found this doing a bit of research, I didn't know this myself, Eskimos have 30 words for snow. Right, you think, how stupid is that? Snow is snow is snow. But they have 30 words for snow because it's a life and death matter to them. Really, really a life and death matter to them, to have exact information about the element that they live in. Right, they're not Eskimos, are they, anymore? You shouldn't say that, really. The Inuits. And they need to know it intimately. If we had a vocabulary of 30 words for love, we'd immediately be richer and more intelligent when it comes to talking about this subject. And he knew it probably would die of clumsiness if he only had one word for snow. And perhaps we're close to that. We're clumsy because we only have one word uh, for love. And we need to try and understand that. And there's a man called Robert Johnson. He said, English, as English people, and we'll include the Australians in this and the Scottish and the Irish, and whatever, the English-speaking people. English may be the most lacking when it comes to feeling because we don't understand the word love. I was going to go and get a T-shirt on my way up, but we sort of ran out of time. I've got this great T-shirt. And I'm, I'm not one for having logos on T-shirts. I love reading others, what they've got on them. Uh, but I've got one T-shirt uh, that's got a logo on. And it says, forget love, I'd rather fall in chocolate. Right, so for us, we can say, I, can, I love chocolate, I love Roy, but that love is a very, very different love. We can love doing things, and we've just got this one word, and it's, it's really, really annoying. So the love you say 
to a son is a different sort of love you've got for a partner, for chocolate, for the food that you like, right? So we've really, really got to understand that. And there are two words in the Bible about love. And I just want you to, if you forget anything else, just try and remember this this morning because it's really important when we come to understanding that conversation that Jesus had with Peter. Agape. Right, that's the first one I want you to really get hold of and understand. Agape is total love. Absolute and total love. Whoever knows and experiences this agape love sees that nothing else in the world is important, only loving. And this was the kind of love that Jesus felt for us. And it's so big and so amazing that it shook the stars and changed the course of history. So agape is this incredible love. It's a Greek word that refers to the love of God. One of the kinds of love we are to have for people is agape. Right, so agape. It's the very nature of God because we're told in the word of God that God is love. And the big key to understanding agape is to realize that it can be known from the action it prompts. We sometimes speak of the action of agape love. You know, we, and I'll include myself in this, we're accustomed and used to thinking of love as a feeling. That's not agape love. Agape is love because of what it does and not because of what it feels. God loved the world so much, agape love, that he gave his son. And it didn't feel good to God to do that, if we think that was easy. It wasn't. It was agape love. It was the loving thing to do. And Jesus loved us so much, that agape love, not the feeling, because we were sinful and we'd messed him about. People had been cruel and unkind to him. But he died because of that agape love. He gave his life. He didn't want to die. We know that, don't we, from the word of God. He struggled with that. But because he loved in this agape love, he did what God wanted him to do. A mum who loves a sick baby, I stay up all night long caring for it. It's not something you want to do. You want to have your sleep, don't you? You want to get your head down. But you do it because it's an act of agape love. It's this real loving. It's not just an impulse generated from how we feel. Agape love is a choice. Right? We exercise our will to love. And this is how we can love the unlovely. It doesn't come from a feeling. We see somebody and we think, oh, we don't like them there. You know, they're down and out. We have to exercise our will and we have to exercise love. And that's a true act of agape love. It's related to obedience and commitment and not necessarily our feeling and emotion 
loving someone is to obey God. Right. Seeking blessing for that other person. The way to know that we love God in this way is that we obey his commandments. So love is the distinctive character of our lives. And the loving thing to do might not always be easy, but true love isn't mushy sentimentalism. There's going to be a cost to genuine love. And we tell that very clearly in the word of God. And Christians are to be known for their love, the agape love to one another. God calls us together, doesn't he? A whole bunch of people that we wouldn't choose, but God has chosen us and he calls us to love. Even if we don't always like one another, we are called to love. There's another word for love that you need to understand this so that you can understand what you need to do to love as a Christian. And the other word to love is filio, which means to have a special interest in someone or something, especially if we're close um, to that person. To have affection for, you know, to be a friend. And it would probably be helpful if in our Bibles, in our English versions of the Bible, it had never put that filial love as just love, because it does confuse us. We can see how it comes about, can't we? Because we do so, don't we? We love Coca-Cola. We love chocolate. Uh, we love Italian food. We love Chinese. We love a curry. Uh, we love that hairstyle. We love that colour of hair. We love that particular sort of clothing. I love the way your hair looks. I love what you're wearing today. And it's that sort of love. It's very different. It implies a strong emotional connection. And it's used of a deep friendship between people. You can agape your enemies, right? You understand this? You can agape your enemies because you can love them because it's that selfless love. But you can't filio them, right? Because there's an emotion there, right? So you can agape them, but you can't filio them. And it becomes clear in this little reading, um, when Jesus was talking to Peter. But we can't see it in our English versions very often. So this is a short, short version of what they said to one another. Okay? Jesus said, Simon, do you agape love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I filio love you. Right? So... He wasn't responding to that question, right? Jesus was acting, asking him if he loved me with this sacrificial, committed love, whatever. And he was saying, yes, I love you with this emotional love. I care about you as my friend. So Jesus asked him again, Simon, do you, agape, love me? And Peter replied again, yes, Lord, you know that I filio love you. He couldn't bring himself to say, that he had got that sacrificial love. And for the third time, Jesus said, Simon, and he changed what he said. He changed it from agape to do you filio love me. 
And Peter got upset at this point, didn't he? It says in the word, God, he was quite aggrieved at what he said. Lord, you know that I filio love you. Why the difference in words for love in this conversation? Why did Jesus use agape and Peter use filio, the different sorts of love? Jesus was asking Peter if he loved him with the love of God, a love that might require sacrifice. And this is really important for all of us. After all, Jesus had gone through horrendous torture for Peter's sake and ours, something he didn't want to do, but he did anyway because of his agape love for us. And in contrast, Peter avoided torture by denying Jesus. Jesus asked Peter twice, do you agape me? Are you willing to do things for my sake that you do not want to do? Peter, on the other hand, still felt the sting of having denied Jesus and was hopeful that their friendship, that emotional connection, was still intact. Did Jesus hold Peter's denial against him? Would he still treat Peter as a close friend and companion? Peter wasn't sure where he stood with Jesus, so he was trying to let Jesus know that he was still a true friend and had filial love for him. The third time Jesus spoke to Peter, he came to Peter's level and asked if Peter were indeed a true friend which grieved Peter. But it was important, and it was important because Jesus knew what Peter didn't know, that he would ascend to heaven, and that Peter and the others would be left to carry on his work on earth. And they'd require this agape love to do his will, even if it meant hardship. And I really think it's a question that God's asking us this morning. It's easy to say, we love you, God. It's fine when everything's going all right. We've got that emotional connection when everything's going straight forward in our lives. But Jesus is asking something deeper than that. Do you love me enough that you will be prepared to sacrifice me? Jesus is asking you to be his hands and his feet today. And what are some specific ways you can do that? Uh, You see, through the years, ever since this conversation that Jesus had with Peter, God's call on our lives hasn't changed. He's still asking us to take care of his children, to take care of people in our families, our friends, our community. If you were to take that call seriously, if we really understand that God's speaking to us, what would it look like? Would you go out of your way to help a friend, somebody in need, Would you sit with somebody who's completely alone, you know, in a cafe, at the school cafeteria, or wherever? Would you reach out to the weirdo 
you know, in the place you work or at college or university or whatever, would you go the second mile for someone who needs you? Right, question. If you ask God for opportunities to feed his sheep, to care, to show agape love, he will give them to you. So what are you waiting for? That's my question to you. The disciples did that, didn't they? They gave their lives. All but one of them died because they loved God with agape love in the end.